Good morning. What a wonderful opportunity and occasion to be with you here, to come together to worship our God, our Father, our Maker in spirit and in truth. I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to be with you today, and I appreciate the invitation by the elders to ask me to come and be with you and to study another portion of God's Word with you. I ask that you take your Bibles out and follow along with all the passages we've prepared to look at this morning. In the 1870s, there was a very successful lawyer in Chicago named Horatio Spafford. His wife's name was Anna, and together they had five children. Their lives quickly flourished as their family prospered. But in 1871, tragically, their young son died with pneumonia. Later that same year, Spafford lost most of his fortune in business affairs in the Great Chicago Fire, if you remember back to that catastrophic, historic event. Two years later after that, Horatio Spafford decided to take a trip with his family to Europe. And just before they were to set sail, Spafford was called back to Chicago to tend to some uh, very urgent business matters. So he decided to stay behind and he sent his wife and four daughters before him to England. And as their ship was traveling across the Atlantic, across to their destination, it collided with another Scottish ship and sank to the bottom of the ocean. Only his wife, Anna, survived. His four daughters drowned. His wife was saved and she wired him from Wales, England, saved alone. Shortly after receiving this gut-wrenching news, Spafford immediately left by ship to reach his wife in England. And while traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, the captain of their vessel told them that they were passing the very location where his wife or his four daughters drowned tragically just weeks prior. And as he heard that news, he immediately went down into the lowest part of the ship and wrote the lyrics to the hymn that we just sang, It is well with my soul. And as he is sailing to his grieving wife, his heart still torn from the loss of his children, he wrote the lyrics to this hymn. And this morning, I hope we can identify why it was that Spafford was able to say, it is well with my soul in spite of the tragedy that I may be dealing with in my life. Well, frankly, we want to look at the lyrics of his hymn and use them as sort of our template. And all the verses that he used, all the thoughts that he conveys in that song are thoughts that are conveyed by God in Scripture. And that's one thing that I think is truly beautiful. The very first verse of his song, it says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Notice the language that Spafford uses as he describes our lives. When you think of a river, is that typically peaceful? Yeah, surely there are some rivers that maybe aren't as calm or quiet waters. But do we ever hear of people going down on on river float trips where you get together a small group of people, you float down a river together. It's calm, it's peaceful, it's relaxing. The idea of a river here carries the idea of continuous flow. There are going to be times in my life when peace is continuously flowing unto me. When there is everything in my life is going right. When things are quiet and I'm able to continue on without the worries of this life. But there are also going to be times when it feels like the cares, the heartaches that we feel in this life, they keep coming wave after wave, like those sea billows that roll. 
And Spafford said, even when I have no peace and I'm being hit with waves of sorrow, it is well with my soul. How do we handle life when we receive shocking news? And you know, shock is almost one of the first emotions that we uh, feel when something drastic happens in our lives. Do you remember what happened to Eli the prophet in 1 Samuel 4? There was a great battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. And his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were of that number that were involved in that battle. And they tragically died at the hand of the Philistines. And a messenger came to Eli to bring him this news. And really, his sons died because they decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle, if you remember that text. And this messenger comes bringing the news, and he first informs Eli that his sons perished at the hands of the Philistines. But the second part that this messenger tells Eli, that they brought the Ark of the Covenant into battle, and it was captured by a Gentile nation. That is what shocked him so bad that his chair fell backward, his neck snapping, and he perished. That is what startled him. And startling news, when we receive it in our lives, it can cause us to shut down. There are certainly times when hardships of this life affect me in a way that it feels like my world has stopped. In Proverbs, the 15th chapter, the wise writer says in verse 13, that by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Have you ever had a moment when you receive something so shocking that you just don't know what to do next? It feels like my world has been turned upside down. How in the world am I able to say it is well with my soul when I'm in this state of calamity? I think Job is a very eye-opening character to notice when you think about someone dealing with hardship, of the right attitude that we must have that must persist throughout every avenue of our life when we are facing difficult times or when peace is flowing unto us. Very quickly in the first chapter of Job, we see him lose a lot of things. The Sabaeans came, stole all of his donkeys, they killed all of his servants except one who came to give him that report. Fire from heaven above came, all his sheep are gone, all the servants at that location gone immediately except one who brought that message. The Chaldeans came, took your camels, they killed all your servants over here, Job. I'm the only messenger who survived. But that, that, fire, that fourth and final messenger that a great wind came upon the house where all ten of his children were, collapsing it upon all of them, killing all of them instantaneously. What was part of the first statement that we see Job make in Job the first chapter when he's being told all of this information wave right after another? Blessed be the name of Jehovah. Turn over to Psalm, the 11th chapter, and in verse 3. We see that this is definitely a godly principle that we can actually praise God no matter what situation is happening in our life. And it's because of one fact that we find in the psalm, the 11th psalm, and in verse 3 beginning. The text here says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be their portion of their cup. What are some of the foundations that you may have in your life? Is it potentially your occupation, your job, maybe the employees that you have? Are they something that you maybe care about? What about your friends? 
your family, those that you love dearly, your loved ones, is that maybe something you might say is the foundations of my life? That's the writer here, David. He says that when the foundations of my life are shaken, God is still present. Job had all four of those items stripped from him immediately at a moment's notice. And whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. My world may feel like it's falling apart, but the world itself keeps going. God is still in his holy temple. He's still there. He's where his throne is. He's watching down on us at all times. He sees the righteous in their time of calamity. He is still overseeing us when we feel like we are alone. When it feels like the sorrows of this life continuously hit me, I am not alone. I still have God. And that's a comforting thing for us to realize and to hold on to. When I feel like I'm alone and I'm mad that God has done this to me, that I may be upset and blaming Him for these things taking place, is God, is blaming God going to solve any of the problems that are, you're facing at that moment? Is acting wickedly against God in retaliation going to get you very far? The writer here says no, that wickedness he will repay for their portion. Yes, God does test the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. Just because I'm facing difficulties in my life does not give me justification to go and act against God. There's no reason for me to turn against him just because I feel like my world is falling apart. There is one constant thing. That will always be until this world does actually come to an end. And that's that God is on our side. God is watching over those who follow him and strive to do his will. Every step of the way. And that is why I can say truly that it is well with my soul. Just as Horatio Spafford did. And similar to how Job made the comment, blessed be the name of Jehovah. The second verse of his song reads, though Satan should buffet. Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. How many people do we know that blame God for their problems? God, why are you being so unfair to me? What did I do against you? I've been following your word. I've been living how you wanted me to. Why are you treating me this way? God is not the one causing this. Satan is the one attacking us, constantly taking jabs at us to weaken us in our faith, to cause us to break down. Though Satan should buffet, he is always looking for ways to break us down. That's not God. But did you know that God allows that to take place? Because he knows that we can bear it. Satan had to acquire permission to test Job. In Job 1 and in verse 12, God said, Behold, all that he has in your power. But don't kill him. Spare his life. The trials that Satan may use against us, they definitely may vary from person to person. But he's always going to hit us where it hurts, to affect the things that we care about so much in this life that may cause us to stumble and be weak in our faith. He may take away my job. He may take away my family members. He can affect the very important things in my life, the foundations that we cling to. But there's one fact that remains true for the Christian. Turn over to Matthew 10 and in verse 28. Notice what Jesus says here. As he is encouraging his disciples before he sends them out to preach the gospel, he leaves them with this message. He tells them this in Matthew 10 and in verse 28. 
He says here, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There will be those who desire to kill you in this life for what you preach, disciples. But they are not the person you need to be worried about. See, physical death is not to be our top fear. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul, Satan. But do the trials we face by Satan's hand, are there times that we can acknowledge that maybe it does cause us to stumble and be weak in our faith? That we may feel like we are struggling at times. That is when our strength and our faith has to kick in, has to hold us up. God doesn't deliver us into any situation that we cannot overcome. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that. And do we have a faith within us that realizes, Satan, you may take my loved ones, but you cannot take my soul from heaven. I'm holding fast to the promises that God has given me of a home eternally where I can be with him, that I'm holding fast to that. And that is our blessed assurance that must have control with us in our lives. Otherwise, anything that happens is going to cause me to stumble. I won't be looking to serve God any longer, will I? I'm worried about how I can help myself. And Jesus took notice of our helpless estate. Death doesn't have control over us like it used to because of what Jesus did. Look at Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 14 with me. Hebrews, the second chapter, and in verse 14. Hebrews 2, and in verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as children we have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15, And release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to to bondage. We are no longer bound to death. Yes, we are still going to face death at some point, but is that the end? No. Or do we look forward to something more glorious than this life even? We may feel sorrowful about death, but it doesn't conquer us as it used to. Why? Because Jesus died for us. Think about this. He died for me physically that I may live again spiritually. By by his death, he provided a way for me to overcome sin, which was Satan's power. And we find all scriptural blessings come through Christ. And when I have the most important thing, which is my soul, stored up in heaven, that is my blessed assurance that has proper control of my life. The third verse of Spafford's song. You know, Jesus didn't just die for just one or two of my sins. He didn't just die for some of them. He died for all of my sins. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Any iniquity that we ever committed, Jesus died for. And what a comforting thought that is, that I don't have to be worried about what sin is going to be covered by Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, and what sins I'm still accountable for, that I'm still standing in opposition with. No, He died for everything. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And what a comforting thought that is. But why? 1 John 1.8 tells us that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And John comes right back after that saying that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If that's the case, that Jesus' blood really does cleanse me from my sins, then I can't be holding on to my past sins anymore. I can't be holding that against myself, saying, I did this. No. Is there any element of your sins that you can't forgive yourself for? What is it that you are still holding on to from your past? Oh, you know, I I lived a really rough life. Jesus could never forgive me. He could never forgive me of all the wrongs that I did. You don't know how bad I really was. God doesn't want anything to do with me. No, friend, sin is sin. And God cannot tolerate it. He cannot overlook sin. But he desires to be with us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place, to shed his blood so that we could be reunited with him. And we should take advantage of that gift of his blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. And that is why we can't hold on to the grief of our past sins. Where are our sins at? If they're not with us, if I don't have to feel the burden of it, where are they located? If I don't, all my sins were nailed to Jesus' cross. He bore the burden of my sin. And as we said, not just a little bit of my sin, all of my sin. All my sins up to the point that I gave my life to him in baptism were washed away. I no longer stand in opposition with God for the condemnation I did in breaking his law. It doesn't matter if I lived a rough life for 60 to 70 years and am just coming to the gospel. Or if I'm 11 years old and am just now coming to obedience in Christ. It doesn't matter. All my sins can be forgiven. And 1 Peter 3.21 speaks about how baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. And you might say, how is that possible? We actually have an example of someone who was able to look at their past sins and not feel the burden, the grief that is tied in with that standing in opposition to God's law. Look at 1 Timothy 1 at what Paul says. 1 Timothy 1 and in verse 13. The Apostle Paul, he says here, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. As Paul speaks about his past, he used to arrest and slaughter the the very people that he is imploring others to become at this point. He killed Christians and now he is one himself, yet he calls himself the chief of sinners. But notice he said Christ came to die for all sinners. He took that into his own account. And with a conscience that's obedient to Christ in baptism, he cleanses me of my sins. And that's a reason that I am able to say it is well with my soul, despite the things that I may be facing in this life. The fourth verse of Spafford's song. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. We have passages throughout the New Testament that describe this glory occasion. Speaking of the judgment day that Spafford is mentioning. And every one of these ideas he has in this song are conveyed in God's word. And that's because God says this is going to happen. Our faith shall be made sight when these things take place before our eyes. When we witness these things unfolding, being made manifest. Because God said it will take place. But let's ask ask ourselves the question. Do I want this day to come? Lord, 
Haste today. Bring it quickly. I am ready for this to take place. Is that something that we are all confident in saying? That we are willing to express that idea that we want this day, this judgment day, to come quickly? This might be a reason for us not to. This is going to be a very terrifying day for the majority of people who live here on earth. Why would we want this event to take place quickly? Why would we want that to happen suddenly? I like my life here on earth. I like my family. I like my friends. I like my job. I enjoy the blessings that God has blessed me with here on earth. I don't want that to come to an end necessarily. But yet why am I able to say, Lord, end this all quickly. Well, what things are the Christian promised when this judgment day will take place? What is it that we are looking forward to? That we have a hope built inside of us through the faith that is instilled in us through the gospel. Paul says that a crown of life will be presented to them for their service of God, to the Christian in 2 Timothy 4. And as he's coming to the end of his life, he has full confidence that that is something that is awaiting him. The Christian awaits immortality, knowing that they never have to face death or decay. The things of this life that our corruptible bodies focus are, are, are stationed around. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says our corruption must put on incorruption. Our mortal must put on immortality. The Christian's citizenship is in heaven. And a glorified body awaits us there, as we see Paul say in Philippians 3.20 and 21. That is where they are promised a dwelling place with God forever, in heaven. In this glorified location where we will be with Him forever. And turn over to 1 Thessalonians 4 as we conclude this morning. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 16. The text reads here, For the Lord Himself will descend with, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Notice this. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. As we see the Christian has a knowledge that we will be forever with God. We will ever be with the Lord as the text says. Nothing will ever separate us from the one who created us. Who loves us. And made a plan and designed it with the sole purpose and intention of us being reunited with him forever. And when I realize that thought. When I see the power behind God's inspired word, I can say it is well with my soul. I can realize his love that he has for me. And I ask this morning, what about you today? Is it well with your soul when you receive tragic news that makes you feel as if the foundations of your life are crumbling before your eyes? What about when Satan is attacking you and tearing apart your physical life? How strong is your physical is your physical or how strong is your spiritual life going to be? Can you say it is well with your soul? Is it well with your soul when you are thinking about your previous wrongs, the sins that you previously committed? Do you still feel the guilt of those things? Or do you realize that Christ's blood was shed so that you don't have to bear that burden anymore? Do you have doubts about them being really forgiven? Well, when we realize what Christ's blood did for us, we no, have, no longer have to feel that way. And with God, all of these things can be well with our soul. 
And that is why anything that happens in my life, I am able to say, praise God, blessed be the name of Jehovah, it is well with my soul. I thank you for your time and attention this morning. We'll be dismissed to our classes here just after a prayer. If you would, bow with me. Our most righteous God and Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace at this hour, acknowledging you as the maker and creator of our world. We thank you so much for the abundant blessings that you have so richly bestowed upon us at this hour, both physically and spiritually through Christ. We thank you for this location and body of saints that have assembled here to worship you this morning. We thank you for the good work that Brother Ben does here, evangelizing, trying to reach the lost, always standing for the truth. We thank you for the many members here that also play a large part in spreading your gospel. What an encouragement and uh, edifying group this is. We pray that you always keep them from the evil one, that you be with us throughout the remainder of these services today, that you allow our minds to be focused solely upon your word, that we may obtain the proper knowledge we need so that we can always be the best stewards of your word that we can glorify you, and if it be your will, reach a lost soul today. Please be with us and forgive us of our sins. Let us always realize that it is, we are able to say it is well with our soul when we are following your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.